Welcome to the platform journey from Tidemark, a growth equity firm purpose-built to help companies win and scale. I'm your host, Avanish Sahai. This series explores what it takes to build a successful software platform company and get the ecosystem flywheel going. We talk with seasoned innovators who have traveled this road before and can help navigate the way and share their lessons. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Platform Journey. Today, our guest is Jim Nairn. Jim is a dear friend, former colleague as well, looking very sharp. Jim is the SVP of Alliances and the Ecosystem at WalkMe. And I'll ask him to talk a bit about who WalkMe is, what they do. It may not be a name familiar to everybody. Jim, welcome to The Platform Journey. Thank you, Avanish. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Jim, yeah, give us a bit of, first of all, your personal history. You've got a, a storied career and you've been in some great, great companies. So just maybe t- start with that and then we'll talk a bit about WalkMe and the WalkMe ecosystem strategy, et cetera. Sure. So I started my career a long time ago with a company called Lucent Technologies. I won't tell you how long ago, but it was a long time ago. Hey, mine is longer, so don't worry. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've always worked longer than you. Started my career there early on as a technician way back when, and we did all of our work for phone companies at the time for Bell Atlantic and, and AT&T, companies like MCI and GTE that are that are long gone now. And then throughout the career, moved into project and program management first, and then sort of developed, I'll say, an affinity for relationship selling into accounts because of that ultimately landing at a company called Presidio back in the mid-2000s and was on the partner side for a while. They were a big partner of EMC and Cisco and VMware and others and started to work with some global organizations, Bank of New York being one of them. And BNY Mellon, I live in Pittsburgh. And so the sort of the beginning of that period of my life was spending a couple of weeks out of every month traveling to New York and got to meet some great sales leaders from EMC and eventually ended up on the Bank of New York Mellon team for EMC. Through that journey, got to work for, at the time I was working for Joe Tucci and the Scannels and and the guys at EMC, and more specifically for a guy called Joe Profeta, who ran the New York, New Jersey region for EMC. And at the time, I was running a couple of the big financials. I was at Bank of New York Mellon first, and then PNC Bank out of Pittsburgh. And so through that relationship with Joe and and he had some ties to Kevin Haverty, who was obviously the CRO. He was the worldwide head of sales at the time. But Kevin was at ServiceNow, ultimately ended at ServiceNow and for five years ran what we called the stat business, which was sell to and through business at ServiceNow culminating with period in probably the 2020 timeframe where I started to do some advisory work for some startup companies, one of which was WalkMe. And through that engagement there, ultimately decided to come over to WalkMe. So that's how I got here. Awesome. Well, you've mentioned a few legends in sales or Joe Tucci, Kevin Haverty. I mean, these folks are just truly legendary, but you've done a really interesting set of roles, which have obviously a big part of it is sales, but I think you mentioned relationships, right? So describe what WalkMe is, first of all, where do you fit? 
because I think it is a it's a fantastic story. I've known the company for a while, but I don't know that all listeners would. So describe, you know, what is WalkMe? Sure. So WalkMe is what we call a digital adoption platform. What that really means is companies now, any company that's of a certain size still uses software every single day. Everybody's become a technology company, whether they wanted to be or not. And what WalkMe does is they take a look at the fact that people are using best of breed technologies now, and they realize that there was a sentiment that people seem to be the breakdown a lot of times and change projects and transformation efforts that aren't successful because of the fact that there's the human element to it that we so often forget. We're all using best of breed. So where do we fall down? Why do why do three quarters of all transformation projects not meet the success criteria that we'd hope that they'd met? And a lot of that is the human factor, whether those folks are not getting out of that technology what they wanted to, or whether the process was broken, or whether there was some misinformation that was put into the process. And so what WalkMe does is it's sort of a veneer that sits over top of applications to help people achieve the intended outcomes of that technology. So part of the appeal for me when I started doing some advisory work here was it was hard for me to put my finger on what the total addressable market was for a company that worked on any web-based application. It was probably pretty sizable, but it was also digitizing a very analog approach to learning and learning in the flow of work, which I think is something that, you know, is so critical for us now in terms of why should anyone care what version of a particular software or why should they care what latest release has come out when they're just trying to achieve a goal. And what we do is is we help them utilize the intended use of that technology to the fullest extent of, of the investment. And really, a lot of companies can do it through virtual agents or in-app guidance, but none really work on other applications as well. So that experience isn't exactly aggregated across all of them. And that's really where WalkMe shines. On top of that, they also glean insight from the analytics portion of the platform that is almost behavioral analytics. We can see when people fall out, we can see where they're having trouble. And through AI and machine learning, we can help them achieve those goals with very little interaction with humans. That's, again, digitizing an analog process. I think that's pretty key. And all of us who've been in the software business, particularly in the SaaS world, you know, we always talk about adoption and understanding where and how things are working, not working. So clearly makes makes tons of sense. And finally, that the connection between different web-based applications, we all do the the chair swiveling, right? And kind of how do you how do you kind of make it work more seamlessly? So that thing makes tons of sense to me. So you joined WalkMe and your charter is to really is to build out the ecosystem. So talk a bit about where it was coming from when you came on board and kind of where you and team are taking it, which I think is a pretty phenomenal, phenomenal story. Yeah. So I guess it gets, it goes back to those conversations. When I first engaged with the company, they were pre-IPO and they wanted to understand what a partner ecosystem should or could look like at the time of IPO. And it was really about making the investment. There's always the chicken and egg discussion that happens when it comes to investing in an ecosystem. The timing couldn't have been better. We couldn't foresee the fact that the market was going to kind of take a turn. The market, as you know, has been a little fickle in the last couple of years. So 
whether they wanted to see operating leverage, whether they wanted to see a reinvestment in sales, whether they wanted to see a path to profitability. All of those things have been conversations in the last few years. And in a headwinded market, I think that creating that ecosystem is something you create an extensibility through sales and delivery motions with with the ecosystem that allows you to not put things on your bottom line and and allows you to create that extensible platform with and through the key partners. I was lucky enough to work with a lot of those partnerships at ServiceNow and bring those to bear here in terms of alignment on operating model and segmentation model and, and compensation and driving the right behavior. But it was really to do just that. It was to get companies off of that analog process of adoption and really get them looking at being able to sell software and attach services to it. So we had a GSI first mentality through which we have developed several different routes to market. And we will key on some of those routes to market as we turn the corner here. Yeah. No. So again, I think super thoughtful approach to the transitioning, what I imagine was a more traditional direct sales model, right? And kind of bringing in the educating the partner ecosystem and the prospective partner ecosystem, and then starting to execute with them. You're in a journey and you've been there a couple of years. Is that right? More or less? Yeah, I was here two years this past February. So I took a month off. When I was leaving ServiceNow, I had 26 direct reports and COVID was at the height. And it was the people management side. I'm a passionate leader in terms of you know my team. COVID changed the landscape of a lot of things. And one of those things was people management and the things that they were going through at the time. And so I had a couple of stipulations when I joined WalkMe with their former CRO. And that was one, I wanted no direct reports for the first year. I wanted a break from people management, but I also wanted to be able to glean some insight into what was working and what wasn't working. And then ultimately, the second one was, if you're serious about this, I I want you to consider not growing your professional services organization. If we're going to lean in here, let's really lean in. And I was fortunate enough as they were transitioning CROs, I was a part of the interview staff for our, our newest CRO. And when I interviewed him, he said, what does your longevity look like with this company? And I said, that kind of depends on you and your propensity to work with partners. Luckily, he was spot on. He had had an extensive history working with and through the partner ecosystem. And so we've become not only fast friends, but respected work agents uh, with one another in terms of how we're going to drive the company to be a partner first company. So love that. I I think, again, from a strategy perspective, right, which is establishing that framework and that mindset. And this is something we often talk about is this cannot be an isolated motion, right? It has to be in concert with the rest of the strategy. And that only works if there's alignment in the C-suite and frankly, even at the board level, right? So it sounds like that was, that was job one. It was. And we rode that knife edge of how do you show the return while it's still being an investment, right? The definition of investment is it happens before the return. So we had to take some quick wins and really monetize as quickly as possible while still showing back to the business that it was a credible way that we were monetizing. And then that's how you bring that C-suite on board to believe it and to see that it really is a true extension of the sales and delivery arm. So I knew that the request around 
the PS organization wasn't necessarily going to happen, but it was about putting them in that mindset that you just spoke about. And it was an intended thought process change for them, I, I think, that we were able to bring on the CEO and, and, the, and the board and, and, and so on. And look, I've known you for a long time and I know you're very metrics driven. So what can you share about the metrics that you use to measure the impact? And maybe what was the baseline when you started? How has that evolved? And how are you tracking it? And again, the only public information, but whatever we could share, that I think that'd be terrific. So I think it's pretty simple. They, they were toying with ideas around pipe generation and things like that in the early days before I got here. And I think what you get when you compensate people on pipe gen is you get some bad pipe. I think that then they switch to only establishing source as sort of the anchor for everything. And that's true too. However, what we did was we created a model that was sort of a hybrid approach in terms of compensating the right behavior because we didn't want people leaving a situation with a customer just because somebody was doing delivery and they were a part of that process, but they weren't necessarily sourced. The team would exit that if it wasn't listed as sourced. And so we started tracking things by sourced and influenced. And all due respect to the people that came before me, they had a really good definition for what is truly sourced revenue. And because of that, we were able to build on that and say, look, we're still going to anchor on it, but we're going to compensate teams in a more creative way to give them opportunities to still be effective with their customer outcomes through the partner ecosystem that eventually saw a turn. And we were, our former CFO used to call our business, or the partner business when I got here, used to use the term nascent, which is a word that I'm not a big fan of. And we saw it was single digit growth from probably 2017 to 2021. And we made some wholesale changes in 2021. And we saw that growth shoot up to almost 40% or just over 40% in 2022. And we're looking to expand on that in 2023. So we saw a huge uptick with that GSI focused model. And we continue to make announcements quarter over quarter on earnings with new global partnerships. I just made another one today. We have our anchor partnerships that are strategic, very strategic to us in nature. And we'll continue to to nurture those and, and grow those and activate the next group down as we continue that. And we've been able through that to open up some other channels in terms of MSP and ISV and and OEM and those other opportunities. Yeah. So you went where I was going to go next. So talk a bit about, again, when we think ecosystems, it is really the connection across multiple categories, right? I think in the old world of traditional partnerships, it was very much a siloed approach. You've got the resellers, you've got the distributors, you've got MSPs, You've got ISVs, you've got tech, you've got GSIs, you've got regional SIs, et cetera. But they didn't really collaborate much. They didn't really, frankly, coexist well or co-innovate. I think what you're doing, if I can put words in your mouth, but love to hear your version of it, is you're starting to really think about this as, hey, ultimately, these all need to work together in some way, shape, or form. So talk a bit about how you're setting that vision and strategy. You can't have an identity crisis. I think that's one. When a company is a thousand people strong as we are now, you're sort of at an inflection point. I always look at that thousand employee mark as as the inflection point where there's sort of three types of people that do what we do. There's people that want to be working with 25 guys in a basement somewhere, or they want to turn that company into an enterprise company. And then there's folks that just need to be at a big company. 
what we've done is we didn't have an identity crisis. We knew we wanted to be an enterprise company. We knew we wanted to live in the VLE-LE space. And so you can't have an identity crisis. That has to be a firm decision that you make kind of early in the process to say, we're going to try and add value to these companies that are living in that space. And that is the GSIs for us. And that has to be an intended use of your time. So what we did was we established a way to monetize that as quickly as possible to be able to show that return that lends itself to other routes to market. And so we started to open up other things. Now, at the stage that we are, a lot of what we do is creating insight for other ISVs and, and tech alliances that could say we can build integrations with and we, we want to do those things. But is that the fastest route to monetization? Or is the fastest route to monetization, hey, I'm going to go work with those GSIs that have those practices already embedded. We already have centers of excellence built out with them. Let's attach ourselves there while we go and build those tech integrations. So we're able to show the monetization first and then come back to the tech integrations almost secondarily. And again, I think that's a brilliant way of thinking about alternative approaches, right? Rather than saying, hey, there's the heavy lift of the integration and the technology and then to try to prove it out, saying we already have these relationships with some of the global SIs, the GSIs. And by the way, for what you do, they're kind of a natural convener, if that's a word, to kind of bring it all together, right? Because they are the ones deploying the applications and the integrations across those applications and so on. That's right. And again, you can't have an identity crisis. We're not good at these things. We're not good at putting in these the delivery of these application platforms, they are. We're not industry focused the way they are. They have decades of knowledge and, and thousands of employees to bring to bear the force that, that we need in terms of a, a force multiplier to attach ourselves to that revenue. But it also is important to understand how they deliver services. And so understanding the differences between those and the nuances between those is something that I really push the team to understand so that we're not trying to make them deliver services the way WalkMe would necessarily deliver services, but to add WalkMe as a pillar in which they deliver services to add WalkMe as a nuance to that capability. We're not going to change, you know, a 700,000 person company. We're, we're, we're just going to hope that, that they add us to the mix in a way that's rooted in best practices that we can provide them. So stepping back a bit from WalkMe, again, we've worked together so I know more about how you operate than most people. <laughs> and you're probably one of the best in the world at developing emotion that I don't think has been super common, but when it works, it's magic, which is the managed service providers, the MSPs. You ran that initially for one partner, then multiple partners, and most of the biggest partners for ServiceNow. And I saw that motion just in awe of how you executed. I can't take all the credit for that, but no, but I again, <laughs> but you should, of course it was a team, but I think you were the quarterback that coordinated that team. And again, I had the privilege of being on the sidelines watching as one of the coaches and it was just amazing. Talk a bit about that motion. What does that mean? Cause I don't think again, not everybody knows or puts that into their portfolio. They talk resellers more traditionally, but the MSP motion is one that I think is somewhat under often underrepresented and maybe even undervalued. So talk a bit about how you structure those. 
Well, so it was a motion that was new to me when I arrived at ServiceNow back in 2015, so eight and a half, nine years ago, when I started having conversations with them, flew to Boston to meet with the worldwide head of sales. And he asked me what position I was interviewing for. And I said, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what was available at that time. And I said, Sounds familiar. I said, I'm, I'm here to see if I can help this company grow. And it was something that was very rooted in selling. As I said, my entire history had been selling and relationship selling up until that point. And there was an opportunity to go and work with a company that was an Indian service provider called HCL. And my predecessor had done a fantastic job of setting them up through an MSP route to market. And that was new for me. That was a new motion for me. But basically what it was is you're selling to a partner where they are the customer and they're extending a third party use right to an end client. And what we did at that point was it it allows them to monetize the IP by adding their own flavor of services, but they're still the administrator of that outcome. And what it did for us at that time was it allowed us to create a wholesaling motion that was incremental to the company. So what we do so often in alliances and channels is already a part of what we're doing as a natural selling motion anyway. Mm-hmm. And candidly, I, I've seen a lot of companies over the last two or three years since the pandemic started move away from the partner motion. And I think that that's because so much of their business was heavily just influence or sell with and referral based and and that overhead becomes difficult. We were very prescriptive in the sense that we wanted to also add value as incremental revenue to the company when I came here. And that was something that started in my time at ServiceNow, where we were adding incremental revenue that you can land in a global house account and helps the company as incremental revenue accretive to what you're doing from a sales perspective. And it needs quality sellers to do it. It can get unwieldy. If you're not careful, it can be difficult to go through in terms of the structure. You hit a lot of potholes along the way, but it can be a huge business. Culminated in 2020 that the business that I ran was was just under a half a billion in revenue for ServiceNow. And so that started probably in the 30 to $50 million range when I joined. So we saw it really pop there. And it's something that we're, we're going to bring to bear here at WalkMe as well. Yeah. And again, I think as a motion, right? One of the things we talk a lot about is we, you know, we have customer empathy, but this one, when you have partner empathy, right? And you try to understand their business lines, their service lines. And, you know, we often, when we talk GSI, we almost immediately go to the consulting and implementation and, and advisory work. But the reality is a lot of these firms, not all of them, but a lot of them have business lines, exactly to your point about running this on behalf of the customer and adding their services. And by the way, their IP, their integrations, creating a more complete solution. And that is, you're growing the pie. That's exactly right. Right. And that is something that often people don't necessarily understand or maybe include in their in their strategy. It's not necessarily a natural motion, certainly for revenue the revenue organization, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that you're going to put the onus on someone else to sell the value of your company. But 
I think, again, getting back to the identity crisis, you have to maintain that you're, you're not selling an outcome when you're a software company. You're selling a solution or a platform that hopefully drives to an outcome. The only folks that can really drive an outcome is those that are attaching broad-based services to that. How do you become such an integral part of that that the customer realizes value outside of what just the core thing is that you're selling? And very rarely does that happen. There's a lot of companies that call themselves platform companies, but to me, that's the mark of a platform company is I'm not just going to realize a value or realize a savings on what I'm buying specific to a software, but I realize it in other areas of the business. And sometimes that's hard to quantify, but at the end of the day, especially when you're in a headwinded market and everyone's looking to reduce costs and gain time back and become more efficient, that to me is, it doesn't matter what the market's doing. Everybody's about efficiency right now. And so we marry very well with the service nows of the world, with the Salonuses of the world that are truly trying to underpin technology and workflows to create a more efficient model. We're just doing it on the people side of it here, which allows us to also be in that discussion from a creative route to market way and and creative way to transact. Love that. So Jim, this is again, your insights are awesome. Let's step back a bit. I know a lot of folks who I think are looking at career aspirations and looking at, you know, how do they have more expanded roles and more influence? Your journey from individual contributor to manager to now an SVP at WalkMe has been pretty phenomenal. What kind of advice or what kind of guidance would you have for someone who's who's saying, hey, I want to be the next gym? Well, I don't think anybody wants to be the next gym, (laughs) but I appreciate the sentiment. I think there was a gentleman that we both know that was at ServiceNow for a number of years. He was a guy that I worked for. One of the best compliments, I've gotten a few good compliments from people that I've remembered over the years, and one of which was was him. And he said, he's probably the most authentic person I've ever met. I don't really change how I talk, whether it's to the person cleaning the restrooms, to the CEO of a company. I think bringing authenticity and a realism to what we do and a human aspect to what we do is something that's critical. Part of how I've maintained no attrition on my team in the last little over a year now. And that to me is in in this dynamic market is probably the biggest feather in my cap that I've had. That is, I think, due to the, the fact that I want to inform them. I want to knowledge is really key when things are happening in the market. Things are happening at a company level that a lot of times we we look at in a hierarchical manner. We're all adults that do this for the most part. And giving people the information to feel like they know what's going on, I think, puts people at ease. And I try and do that in, a, in an authentic manner. Another compliment that I got early on in my career was was from that worldwide head of sales at, at ServiceNow, where he said the gentleman I had mentioned, Joe Profeta, had reached out to him before I started working for ServiceNow. And he said, this guy's on the upswing of his career. And when he told me that in the interview, it was something that I started bringing into every interview that I did post that discussion. And I've interviewed thousands of people over the years. And I always look for those that are still on the upswing of their career. I I don't necessarily care what drives a person, if they want to be the best father, if they want to be the best provider, if they want to be the best salesperson or the best partner 
advocate, as long as they have it, I can find a way to connect to them. It's the people that that don't have drive that I can't really afford to spend time with. So for me, it's bringing authenticity, informing people, even to a point of discomfort, but being authentic in the way that you deliver that and making sure that they feel like they understand what's happening, especially when you're experiencing challenges. Over the last couple of years, people don't, we don't work from home anymore. We live at work. And so gone are the days of somebody saying to you, sorry to bother you after hours, or I'm sorry to bother you, you know, late at night. Those things don't happen anymore. We're all available 24-7 now. And so that's a tough transition that we had to make. So make sure that you connect with the people first. My philosophy is you can either make people do a good job for you or you can make them want to do a good job for you. I always try and be that second person. Wow. What a fantastic note to end on. And authenticity. I can attest to that. You are one of the most authentic people I've ever ever had a chance I learned a to. lot of it from you too. <laughs> well, my friend, we're all pulling in the same direction. So much appreciated. I'm delighted we had a chance to have this conversation and best of luck in your transformation of the, the walk me ecosystem. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me and thanks to you and your team. It's been great. Thank you for joining us on this leg of the platform journey from Tidemark. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast and visit us at tidemarkcap.com.